0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 211 called PAM. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that has helped thousands of women who have experienced recurrent pregnancy loss or IVF failure. The test helps detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common underlying condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. If you or someone you know has struggled with IVF, Receptiva DX may give you the answer and treatment protocols that you're looking for. Talk with your doctor about Receptiva DX because the journey is so worth it. Plus, guys, Infertile listeners are getting seventy-five dollars off the Receptiva DX test. So, all you have to do is go to ReceptivaDX.com or download the app Receptiva DX. Use code af 23 and you'll get seventy-five dollars off. Thanks, Receptiva DX. All right, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to remind everybody that Fertility Rally memberships are open. We are open the first week of every month. So if you are looking for a safe space, somewhere to come, somewhere to be with people who get it, no matter what you're going through, please join our family. We have more than 500 members globally right now. We've got three private Facebook groups, we have four support groups per week. You're welcome to come to any of them. And it is just the thing I wish I had when I was going through it. So we have monthly membership options. We have annual membership options. We also have Rally Guys, which just started last month. So we have a monthly group for guys too who are going through this. So if you are going through this and you don't want to be alone, you don't want to feel alone, you are not alone, we are all here for you no matter what. So please spread the word or join us yourself. We're on Instagram where you can find more info at Fertility Rally, or you can look at our website, which is fertilityrally.com. All right. So I so enjoyed talking to my guest today. She is just brilliant and cool, and we had a great conversation. I learned a lot about fertility pharmacies and just her own story as well. So my guest is Pam Schumann, and she is the CEO of SMP Pharmacy, which is a groundbreaking fertility and specialty pharmacy that's dedicated to empowering patients and clinics throughout their fertility journeys. So she's going to talk about all the things that SMP is doing to revolutionize and really change and make it easier for all of you who are going through this, and also for the nurses as well. So they kind of tapped into something that nobody has before, and it's really, really cool. And Pam is also going to talk about her own fertility journey. So I don't want to get too much into it, give too much away, but I will say that a lot of interesting things came from what she went through and again she's just one of those people that you know took her pain and turned it into her power and she's doing amazing things with SMP and with everybody in this community as well. So also really really exciting is that infertility listeners are getting a very special discount from SMP pharmacy of $200 off. So if you go to smppharmacy.com and you use the code fertilityrally you'll get $200 off. So definitely check it out. They're also working with Little Words Project and everybody that places an order gets a really, really cute bracelet. So I love what they're doing. I'm really believing it strongly and I had a great time talking to her. So without further ado, this is Pam's Infertility Story. <music> Hey, Pam, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk about all the cool things that you're doing in the fertility space, but let's start where I always like to start is, did you always want to build a family and have kids? I did. I don't
1: know how much I thought about it before I met my husband, but as soon as we were together and knew that we were getting married, um, it was really clear
0: that together we wanted to build a family. Mm -hmm. Did you have any indications like growing up that there might be some sort of issues or like, what did you think about, you know, having kids? You know, we talk a lot. I know you said you've listened to some of these episodes. So we talk a lot about how people growing up, it's like, don't get pregnant. It's so easy to get pregnant, you know, all that stuff. Hopefully that narrative is changing now that people are being more open about fertility in general and infertility. But what did you know growing up?
1: Uh, I knew very little growing up. I didn't think a lot about my fertility. To your point, I probably spent more time trying not to get pregnant than thinking about what it would take to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. But I uh, ended up joining the fertility community from a professional perspective shortly before uh, I got married and was trying to conceive myself. So I actually had quite a lot of information by the time My husband and I were trying to conceive, and -hmm. I think that allowed me to move forward to seek, you know, uh, to seek help of a fertility specialist sooner than I might have otherwise. Just because I was sort of in the midst of of the fertility world um, by the time I was undergoing my own journey.
0: Okay, so tell us what you were doing professionally.
1: So I, at that time, was working for one of the practice management companies that managed fertility centers around the country. Mm -hmm. And I came in to, to start up the consumer services division. So take a step back. I've always been in healthcare and I've been in Consumer driven women's health for almost 20 years now, or just over 20 years now, I should say. Okay. Um, And basically, my job was to help work with these practices to create a better patient experience. Whether it was—I mean—I'm really dating myself here because you have very geo-targeted social media now. That was not the case 20 years ago. Totally, I mean, it was fairly new. Any any marketing you did or brand awareness was national, and so as a national brand of fertility centers, we were able to begin the conversation with patients, help them um, understand when they should seek care. And potentially direct them to one of the practices that we uh, that we managed, um, and then we also created uh, some patient financial programs that made paying for treatment a little bit more manageable if you if you were a cash pay patient, and so. I worked on those types of programs from the orientation of of the patient experience. And then okay. I
0: became a patient myself. <laughs> right. Okay. So tell me about that. When you guys started to try, were there issues right off the bat or was it just not happening or what was going on?
1: Yeah, I was in, I was probably 33, 34 when we started to try to conceive. We, we were not having any luck. I had been off the birth control pill. We went in and had a whole number of tests done on both myself and my husband. And what we discovered was that I had a low ovarian reserve. So right now, most people do an AMH to measure their ovarian reserve. At the mm-hmm. time, we were doing what was called an FSH, which really had to be timed on day three of your day two or day three of your cycle. And it's basically an indication of how hard your body's already working to create one egg. Mm -hmm. And so it tends to be an indication of, of your reproductive potential. And while I was in my mid thirties, my reproductive potential was in its late thirties, probably early forties on average. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty clear that um, I, you know, I was going to need help. And, and the physician that I saw, you know, was, I thought, really, really direct in pro- in helping me in, in providing what I would call decision support, right? Oh. He, he laid out what my options were and kind of the pros and cons of each path. So you can do the IUI route. We haven't tried it. It may work. It's going to be less expensive, but it could consume you know, a year of your life and you'll be one year less fertile when we move Mm -hmm. on. And sort of asked me how, what was most critical to me at this time? Was it speed to conception? Was it cost? Was it biology? I guess he was trying to discern whether donor egg was going to be an option if that's where we got. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I did, Go through a couple of IUIs, but I think it became evident pretty quickly with, you know, with how high my FSH was that we really needed to move
0: on to IVF if we wanted a good chance of conceiving. Mm -hmm. I love that term decision support because I feel like sometimes when you come into this world, you're so overwhelmed and they just kind of throw things at you. And, you know, some REs explain it better than others or some of whoever you deal with in the clinic. But I feel like for me, it was just like, here's what you're going to do. And here's the, you know, like it wasn't, I didn't have much decision support. And as people know, if they know my story, like I did get lucky and IVF worked for me and I have my son now who's almost seven, but I didn't know about advocating. I didn't know about asking questions. I mean, just, you know, it was just kind of like, here's what you do. And I was like, okay. And I did it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm glad that you had a different experience. It sounds like they were very practical about you know, each road that you could go down and the kind of pitfalls of, of each decision. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it is an individual decision about where, you know, what your priorities are. And some people are concerned about the invasiveness of IVF and potentially want to try something that feels less invasive to them. Sometimes it's a cost issue. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, we're not in a big hurry here. We want to we want to go through the journey as it is. And I think there's a balance between providing enough information and the reason I say decision support is it's not just like, well, do you want to do IUI or IVF? It's this is these are the pros and cons of IV, IUI and these are the pros and cons of IVF because otherwise what are you making that decision on? And sometimes people just go, well, I don't really understand the difference, so I guess I'll do the cheaper one. Um, Totally, And so I think, you know, I do think some of the data analytics and AI and predictive modeling and some of those things are giving people now even more information. Um, It's still not an exact science as as anyone who's gone through it. Yeah, far I'm from painfully
0: it. Painfully aware. We like um, to call it a crapshoot. In many absolutely. cases, absolutely.
1: That's that's exactly right, and yeah. it's you know, and that's very draining. And so, I think anything that gives people control of their decision making is really useful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we went through. We had our first IVF cycle canceled for poor response which i remember not being able to get off the couch for like 2 days when yeah. i it. It was like wow like <laughs> we didn't even make it to retrieval like they didn't even think it was worth putting us under anesthesia and taking whatever eggs they could get uh-huh and it kind of felt like the world was ending right then and it w- it happened to be uh, right around 911 by the way so there it did feel like the world was ending literally around me at sometimes but you know, we regrouped with our physician. They were very encouraging that they felt um, they could change our medication cocktail. And they understood where we were. And we were they, they encouraged us to try again, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we had six eggs. Two of them made it to embryos. So really bad quantity, but lucky for us, really good quality of our mm-hmm. embryos. There wasn't a lot of genetic testing back then, and they didn't recommend it for us anyway, given how few embryos we had. Okay, Uh, We put both back, and I got pregnant with my son, who is now 20. Wow. So we were very, very fortunate that it worked for us under all Uh those circumstances.
0: Yes. How did you do with all the meds and all that stuff leading up to the retrieval? Did it take a toll on your body, or was it okay? Or like, what was the experience like for you?
1: Yeah, it definitely is overwhelming um, to get those medications, the refrigeration, the needles and syringes. Again, I think they've come kind of a long way in the last 10, 15 years in terms mm-hmm. of the medications largely being in pens or in pre-filled syringes. Mm-hmm. So we were breaking glass ampoules and mixing powder right? with, with We got through it. Um, It, you know, I think it was harder on my marriage than on my body. To be honest,
0: can we delve into that (laughs) a little bit? I'd love to hear more about that. I always talk about how it was really, really hard on mine as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from if we take a step back, um, it can really sort of zap romance, right? You, you think we're going to try to create a family together, and it's very sort of loving and romantic until you know, a doctor and a set of lab people and a, and a phlebotomist get involved.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah, romance is definitely yeah. not part of the equation. <laughs> I mean, that's like now, the furthest even, thing.
1: Even leading up to that, right? Where you're all of a sudden like, now this goes from being something enjoyable and exciting that we're going to do together. It can sort of become a chore where you're like 100%. looking at, the, at your temperature and the clock and then it becomes super stressful because what you're trying to build starts to feel a little bit out of reach. My husband's incredibly supportive and was there the whole time, but, you know, getting him up at five o'clock in the morning to um, help with the injections. So I could drive, you know, in my case, I had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes for monitoring each morning go to monitoring, and then get to my office because Mm -hmm. nobody, despite the fact that I worked in the fertility space, nobody at work knew I was going through this. Did you choose to keep that a secret? Yeah, I did not. not, uh, Not from friends and family, but it was not something I wanted to discuss at work. I hadn't been there a very long time at that time, and I kind of had that feeling. I got advice from a physician who said, Whoever you want to tell about your journey, you probably have to be prepared to tell them the good and the bad along it. Right. So if you're telling somebody you're gonna go do a retrieval and have a transfer, you're likely gonna have to tell them the outcome of that. If you tell them you have an early pregnancy success, you probably have to share with them if, you know, if the pregnancy doesn't go to terms. So it mm-hmm. it's Um, I didn't feel like that was something I wanted to share with my coworkers. I hadn't been there a super long time and it felt very personal.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So another question I have for you is, so now that your son is 20, when did you tell him about his conception story? Did you guys talk about that with him when he was younger? And like, I'm curious, not that you have to speak on his behalf by any means, but like how that, you know, how he feels about that now. Is it even a thing? I mean, I feel like with my son, he'll be like, okay, cool. Who can, you know, like it's so common now. I don't think it will be that big of a deal, you know?
1: Yeah, I I do not recommend that others do. I did, but I worked in the fertility field. I have the whole time. So we talk a lot about what mom does. You know, I'm not a physician. I'm involved in this. I work with patients going through infertility treatment you know, lots of sperm pens and t-shirts around the house from the conferences. (laughs) And we were in the car, he was in the front seat with me. He was in his early teens, 13 or 14. And he asked me a question about IVF. And I said, well, you know, when you were conceived, we only had the two embryos, and we were fortunate that one was you. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't know I an IVF baby. So I don't think it occurred to me that I had never told him that. Before. Right. that makes we actually sense. have a picture of the two embryos that are framed in our office. So right. okay. I, I either I mentioned it in passing and just assumed he knew it, or I, I just thought he knew it. And so, yes, yeah. I did. Not get, I did not get mother of the year that year, but he was very <laughs> cool with it. And I think because we talked so much about it, otherwise just IVF in general and how natural and normal it was. I don't think it freaked him out. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, he's, you know, we've talked about it since, but he hasn't, um, he hasn't expressed any concerns about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, talking to my son about it and, he, we, I mentioned something about IVF and he's like, what's IVF? He's like, I know what the NBA is. And I know the NFL. And I think he was just thinking anything that's like some sort of acronym or like a group of letters, like is sports related. And I was like, "Mm." yeah, so we, we talked about it a little bit, but it's just, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, when people end up telling kids or not, or how they tell them, there's so many great books and stuff now too out there.
1: Yeah, um, we did not have that. And then we also have uh, a second child, our, our daughter, who uh-huh. is not from IVF, seemingly okay. miraculously, given what I've already told you about the yeah. potential. We ended up getting pregnant on our own um, when my son was like 10 months old. So it was wow. a surprise okay. on many, many levels. And How did so, that feel? Surreal. I mean, I really <laughs> just did not think... I could get pregnant on my own. And we had um, we had actually been in the hospital with my son. He ended up having asthma and a little piece of his lung collapsed. We didn't know it. We were in the hospital. I spent the night. I was laying there in my mind calculating that I had stopped breastfeeding a couple months prior to that. Mm-hmm. I, was like, huh, I probably should have getting my period soon mm-hmm. I haven't so on my way home while I was picking up my son's nebulizer I grabbed a pregnancy test and in all the pregnancy tests I ever took in my life this was the only
0: one that ever came back positive oh my God that is <laughs> so interesting
1: <laughs> so and I told my husband and I don't think we talked about it for two weeks because we were caring for my son who you know who was who was recovering and um yeah and then i think there was a little fear after that sure i was then concerned you know would this be a viable pregnancy given what i know about my ovarian reserve and my chances of conceiving and you know so you you almost get that fear of you know uh, at that point i was in yeah i was 36 by the time that happened and you know i had i had I had concerns
0: about yeah. whether I was going to get to enjoy that. Absolutely. So did those concerns continue throughout the pregnancy or was there a point where you were able to exhale and kind of relax?
1: No, I I I was able to relax. We went through some genetic testing and um so we were cleared that that there you know there were no genetic issues and my doctor basically said you had excellent quality embryos last time around it was really a quantity problem for you so you know it it it, we probably didn't have any higher chance
0: of having complications than anybody else wow okay did they ever explain to you like from a medical standpoint or do you have a theory on like why you didn't need assisted reproductive technology for the second child
1: no, and I think it's a numbers game from my mm. sense, right? I never yeah. had no chance of conceiving on my own. I didn't have yeah. block tubes. I didn't have, you know, there was nothing preventing the sperm and the egg from meeting up. So, you know, I think it my chance was not nothing, but it was right. probably 10%, right? Gotcha. And I could go years. So I just think it was luck of the draw that in this particular instance, you know, it, it all, everything came together it was very interesting though. Cause a lot of people said, Oh, you just needed to relax and not think about it. And the right. first baby kind of opened everything up and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm really sure that's how it works. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, there's odds very, you know, unless you're menopausal, your chance is not zero, is never right. zero.
0: Right. And it just happened to work this time. So I, yeah. I took, the miracle that it was. So interesting. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Let's talk about SMP pharmacy solutions, which is what you're doing now. How did you, first of all, tell us what it is, please. And then how did you transition from what you were talking about before career, what career wise to where you are now?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting little COVID story. So Mm -hmm. I have been, as I said, I was on the practice management side. I had my own company for a while I did, I sit on the board of Resolve, so very active in the patient experience. I'm just very passionate about this space. Mm -hmm. When I was with Integramed, one of the things we were starting to tackle was the medication component and really just looking at all of the ancillary services that are, that surround an IVF cycle that have historically been very disjointed and siloed. So I don't know what your experience was like, but you know, you often the patient is dealing with the practice. They might be dealing with their insurance company or a, or a lending company if they're borrowing money. They're dealing with a genetics company at times. They're dealing with a pharmacy. They're probably dealing with somebody who's cryopreserving their materials. I mean, you're just dealing with all of these different providers and vendors to assemble one IVF cycle. And right. so- Part of what we were starting to focus on is how do we create a more integrated experience? We're not saying we're going to own the pharmacy channel, but how do we ensure that everybody's holding on to the same bit of information? And what we found is, you know, the nurse sends a prescription in on behalf of the physician has no idea what happens to that prescription, right? They don't know if the patient if it gets transferred, if it gets filled, how much medication the patient took, you know, actually purchased versus what they wrote. And then what I what I discovered in the process was that the the pharmacy knows what was written, but doesn't really know the dosing that the patient is taking, which as you know can change in the middle of the cycle. Right. And so the patients kind of in the middle, trying to navigate in an area that's very new to them, um, and so we were trying to say, "Look, if 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 we can, if you farm, phar- if we can push to you, and we at that point was the practice side, if we can push the information to you, pharmacy, can you push back to us the status of the prescriptions that we send you, and maybe we can push back to you." the dosage so that we can make sure the patient has the medications they need when they need it and not a lot of excess and we can avoid, you know, people running out of medications. Mm-hmm. I left IntegraMed before we ended up putting that into um, into action. And I ended up joining the board of s because they were one of the pharmacies we were talking to based on their kind of excellent reputation within our network of practices Uh, So I joined the board, started to map out these kind of future states. What could the pharmacy patient practice um, ecosystem look like? How do you leverage technology and as well as um, service components uh, and started to build out some, some cool tools. And then the opportunity came on to join, to leave the board, well, move from the board to the CEO role. And I just thought we were doing some really interesting stuff. And so Mm -hmm. about two years ago, I joined as the CEO.
0: Okay. So what are some things that you've picked up along the way, especially having been, you know, a fertility patient about the patient experience that you saw needed to change and that you guys are implementing on your side? So as a, what I found was,
1: (laughs) I was that that the process had not changed very much since when I went through IVF and at that point it was 16, 17 years prior to that because it was a few years ago when I first looked at this. And I thought one, this is super inconvenient and um, time consuming for the patient and confusing and expensive. And it's also very time-consuming for the nurse, and it does not make best use of a nurse's education to be tracking down medications. The other piece is, you know, there's this considerable effort that goes into injection training. People have Mm -hmm. to be trained on how to use, mix, and inject, and store the medications that they're getting so that Mm -hmm. they optimize their chance of success that was also incredibly time consuming for patients and nurses and really the the cause of most after hour calls to practices are related to how to properly inject self inject medications mm-hmm. and so what covid did was force the you know kind of remote education and learning and opened up i think a tremendous opportunity um, for a better experience. So historically a nurse prescribes your medication. I mean, the physician prescribes it, but they did, they generally handle the, the actual, um, sending of the RX to the pharmacy. You then schedule injection training with a nurse to be shown what medications you're going to be using, how to administer them, et cetera, et cetera. But that usually happened in person and several weeks before your medications actually arrived. Right. So what happened? Your medications arrived and you forgot
0: 99% of what you spent an hour learning three weeks prior. 100%. And can I (laughs) add too that the stakes are so high with this medication (laughs) because it's so expensive. And if you screw something up, you're like out money, you're, you know, it's stressful, all that stuff that I think that, even if you remember, you're second-guessing yourself. Like, all right, how do I do this? Do I mix this? Do I shake this? Is it this needle or is it that needle? You know, there's so many factors. Oh, so many things. And
1: and and you want to be precise. Precision feels critical at this point. So when we saw an opportunity, one of the things I said was, you know, if we could create personalized, on-demand, Trackable injection training. Mm. We can save the nurses a ton of time. We can bring the education to the patient when they need it, where they need it, and accessible to watch again. And we can standardize it, right? Mm-hmm. So when I say standardize, I mean, you know, if there's 43 nurses in a practice, which nurse happens to do your training? What kind of mood they're in, how much sleep they got, you know, uh, it can all impact it and your ability to digest it. And so we made a pretty ambitious leap because let me back up a second. The alternative, because people weren't going in person for this injection training is they were going on to YouTube and grabbing injection videos. Right. But then you're relying on and hoping that the person whose video you're you're watching is doing it correctly. Like right. Sort of I did that. That's
0: way. I did that. I watched YouTube videos, some randoms. Yeah. And you know, not all
1: doctors do it everything the same way. There's different dosing. Some people want you to use your thigh, some want you to put it in your butt. Sometimes it's sub Q, sometimes it's IM. So the practices were concerned because it may not be consistent with what they're explaining. And so We created what's called MedReady, and MedReady is a series of injection videos. It's starting with what I would call contextual protocol. So this this is the type of protocol you're on, the type of medication you're going to be taking, and how it's going to impact your body. Right. Then it's a series of individual medications. And then it's um, actual injection videos. So subcutaneous or IM.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what the practice can do is create their own library by tethering together these three uh, videos from these three sections to match how they prescribe. So mm-hmm. someone may say, we use a long luteal protocol. It has folostim It has gonol. It has, you know, this kind of trigger, that kind of trigger. They pull it together based on their protocols And then they can individually assign these envelopes to patients. They can track whether the patient's watched it or not. And then they can offer supportive um, one-on-one training if the patients need it. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is it's completely transformed injection training. It is are Five thousand patients per month being assigned MedReady, whether they use SMP or not, we've made it free available to any patient.
0: That's so cool.
1: And the nurses are have re, the amount of time nurses spend on injection training has been reduced by two thirds. Mm-hmm. They get virtually no call on you know, no after hours call, mm-hmm. and patients' feedback is we are better prepared. We feel better about the care we're getting and we feel more in control of it. And so, you know, that was an example of something that we thought was a meaty problem to solve. And it wasn't clear who was going to solve it because who was going to make the investment in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we made this available to any practice to assign to any patient. Um, whether they use s p as their pharmacy or not
0: mm-hmm. that's so great groundbreaking yeah. absolutely and I think that something like that can only come from people that have been in it that have been through it so that's why there's so many brands and companies and communities and services coming from people that have gone through fertility journeys and infertility Journeys don't you think yeah,
1: yeah because how else you, you 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 just don't know you right. just you can't even I'm sure this is true outside of Fertillion and in other, any other sort of, you know, I, I did, you haven't been there yet. I did this when, you know, my kids started looking at colleges. You're like, oh wow.
0: Can I There's call a, you <laughs> when I go through all that? You seem so brilliant about decision making. <laughs> but I think
1: the, you know, so that's just one example on the softer side of things. right We completely transformed our packaging. Yeah. So when I got to SP, the first thing I did was send me one of our packages. And yeah. I thought, good God, I needed as I needed an X Acto knife. And you know, it was like Tetris. There was just everything was packed in there perfectly from the pharmacy's perspective so that it stayed cold, so that you know everything would fit in the smallest box, so that it was the least expensive, but it was not intuitive mm-hmm. on, how, on how did everything go together. You know, and I'm thinking of the consumer's perspective, assuming you don't have insurance, you've just spent $5,000 on medication. It should feel like something special has shown up mm-hmm. and inspirational and not, you know, as I say, like potholders from Etsy.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: so everything from, is it clear on the outside of the box that this has to be refrigerated and should be opened immediately when they open the box? There's SP tissue paper on top. There's our Hope bracelet that we did in combination with Little Words project. And we can come back to that if you want. I love that. Yeah. And then you lift it. There's one folder that says we've got you. And inside of it is all the paperwork you need, your checklist of what's in the box, what needs to be refrigerated, you know, all the things you need then your non-refrigerated items, then your refrigerated items. And from a patient experience, it's just much more intuitive. And from a business perspective, it makes more sense because we're not fielding a ton of calls saying, can you help me unpack my box, right? Like we mm-hmm. were getting a lot of time spent on that. So, you know, one other thing, we opened we opened all three of our pharmacies seven days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Just because FedEx can't send a package on Sunday doesn't mean we're not there for the customer, right? Obviously, yeah, seven day
0: a week thing, and we even during holidays and stuff. Because I think that's one of the frustrations I know talking to fertility rally members is like when clinics close down for two weeks around the holidays, and they're like, oh, um, yeah. "Hello, like I'm still in the middle of my cycle." Yeah, no, we are closed. Questions. People just go dark. Yeah
1: we we are closed for six holidays. Mm-hmm. I think okay. Christmas, Thanksgiving new years where we're literally closed. Yeah. And we have um you know limited up op- hours of operations on the weekends but you know sometimes we have to find a local alternative for somebody or we need to coordinate with the nurse and you right. need to be there. I mean that's that was our motto. My team was like, you know, they're coming from a pharmacy orientation. They're saying, "Well, why the pharmacy is about shipping out medications and we can't ship out." And I'm like, "Well, we can courier, which we do." Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes Sunday is when the patient wants to get all their information together. They don't want right. to call us Sunday morning, and it also right. created a much better. Again, from a business perspective, it made sense because Mondays were wild, long hold times, tons of phone calls. It you know we we smoothed that out by being open Saturday and Sunday, and people could ask questions and pay for their order and request a refill on the weekends, and it just prevented that you know, 20 minute hold time on Monday mornings when everybody's who didn't reach us Friday is trying to call us. So absolutely, it's, it's things like that that mm-hmm. I think nobody should necessarily applaud. It's how it should be. It's right. And, and we are just, we're getting there first. And I hope we, you know, while I want to remain competitively advantaged, I also hope that we are setting a new baseline.
0: Yeah, definitely. So here's another thing I want to ask you about, Pam people, which I didn't realize is you can choose which pharmacy you want to use, right? You don't have to go with the clinic that you, or the pharmacy that your clinic necessarily works with. Is that correct in your opinion? That's true. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what if somebody, you know, wants to be proactive about, you know, switching pharmacies? How did, how do you even go about that? Like, what are the basic steps? Because again, it probably seems really remedial to you, but someone who's listening, who's new to this world, like all this stuff is so overwhelming. So anything that's explained, I think is, makes it easier.
1: Yeah, I think there's, it starts with a a couple. First, I think knowing how to decide where you want to go is an important step. What are you looking for? I mean, price is obviously the first thing that most people look at. Are they competitively priced? But also- are they there when I need them to be, right? You might find the cheapest pharmacy, but if they're open nine to five, Monday to Friday, that can turn into a very expensive problem for you later. Everything from, do they speak the language in your native tongue? Are they they open in multiple locations? Those kinds of things are one of the things you might look at when you're deciding what pharmacy to use. Um, I do think the relationship with the practice does matter. Normally, a practice will will work with more than one pharmacy. They may have one or two preferred, but if they don't have any relationship with the practice, it's going to be hard to get um, exceptions and VIP service when something goes wrong because, for example, you know, I have nurses that have my direct cell number and they mm-hmm. will send me a note saying, I got this patient, she broke her vial of XYZ you know, what, what can we do? And if it's a practice we do a lot of business with, I mean, we're going to try to help anybody, but if it's a practice, we're going to, we do a lot of business with, we have a relationship with, we can, you know, we know generally where we can go locally to get them something. So I think you know, mm-hmm. whether or not your practice has any relationship with them matters.
0: Mm, interesting. But okay. if you
1: decide to to do it, I think you you either just tell your nurse, I'd like to use this pharmacy, please send it there. Or if they've already sent it to another pharmacy, you let that pharmacy know, I'd like to have my prescription transferred and mm. they will take care of it for you. Okay. I mean, we transfer prescriptions all the time because of insurance. So someone can send us a... Prescription, we run a benefit verification. We go, oh, you got to go to Cigna because that's, you know, Cigna mail order because your insurance is going to cover the medications. Would you like us to transfer it for you? We take care of that. So mm-hmm. it can happen, or someone, you know, SP gets transfers all the time because they went to a new doctor, the doctor, it sent them somewhere else. And they said, no, I worked with SP on my last cycle. Can you send it to them? So it, it should be fairly straightforward. If it's already gone to the pharmacy, ask the pharmacy to transfer it. If it hasn't already been sent, tell the nurse where you would like it
0: to go. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. Anything else that you want to share about what you guys are doing differently?
1: Yeah, I think, we. you know, I mentioned the, um, the you know, the hope bracelet. This was a partnership with Little Words Project. I don't know if you're familiar with of them. Of course, They're, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So their founder also has her own fertility journey. Um, and has a head of marketing. I think we probably are the only fertility pharmacy that's actually invested in marketing. And it's mostly around, is all of our communication consistent and understandable? You know, is our brand relatable and modern? And, um, you know, she really personifies what, what SMP is. And she, we always put a premium item in the box and she developed this relationship with little words project. And we co-created a hope bracelet for those who don't know little words project has bracelets with individual ID tags on them. And you can register your bracelet either anonymously or, or openly tell your journey. And the idea is when you no longer need the bracelet, you pass it on to somebody else. And it, mm-hmm. and it has this history that goes with it. And we created the fertility one. All of our IVF patients get one in the box. And I have to tell you, the buzz and feedback has been completely overwhelming. I think my marketing person was expecting it. I was not. Right. Our assists when a patient actually comes into one of our physical locations, you know, because most most patients receive their medications through the mail. Uh-huh. But when they do come in and our pharmacist hands them the package with the tissue paper sticking out and will personally hand them the bracelet with a handwritten note, yeah. They burst into tears totally. because they recognize that you are a customer, but we see that you are a human and we're here for you. We yeah. we are hoping this is successful and it's really moved a lot of people. And I think these type of things have differentiated us when someone's trying to decide what pharmacy, these things make a difference.
0: Yeah. I think it's one of the things that makes that such a standout is a, I love Little Words Project. And they're actually Good. based right by where I live. I think people have felt like a number for so long in this journey in so many circumstances. You know, whether it's going into your clinic and they don't remember who you are, and they're giving you questions that they should know the answers to already, you know, things like that. We hear it again and again in our community that, you know, you just don't get this individualized service. So doing something like that, those little touches, that's why people burst into tears because it's like, you see me. Oh my God. Thank you. You know, it does make such a difference.
1: Well, and I think what you're doing makes that same difference. People feel very alone and they... Have a lot, so much emotion that it's it. It's you sometimes feel like, am I overreacting? Mm-hmm. Because it's hard unless you happen to be in a community, find somebody else who is going through it at the same time. It can
0: be very isolating. Hundred percent. That's why we started Fertility Rally. Yeah. It's like the place I wish I had. You know, it's all the things I wish I had because I was on an island and feeling so low and so alone and. You know, I've said a million times, my friends were around, but it wasn't friends that were in it, you know, so they didn't really know. Um, and even if you've been through it, they've right. moved on. They may have moved on. And that's just right. that the nature of things. I, I
1: think that's so right. And I, yeah. I, I happened to have my best friend was going through fertility treatment at the same time. And I was in the, I was in the. You know, professionally in the space, so I was sort of aware of it. But in some ways, that was harder because I saw all the things that could go wrong. and, you know, all the stories, and it was it it almost was too much information. and I, I just think creating that
0: community
1: mm-hmm. is so important. yeah. Um, so again,
0: thank you for yeah, doing. This. Of course, no, it's I'm so passionate about it and it's like the best thing we've ever done. It's it's We had our big group last night where there's like 50 people on the call and it's just every time I come off a group, I'm like, oh, so lucky to be doing this. You know, it's it feels really good. Can you share some, you know, looking, I know your journey was a while ago, but you're still really immersed in this field, obviously. Can you share some words of advice or just like maybe something you wish you would have known before, you know you went through what you went through for somebody who might be new to this world and just kind of struggling
1: yeah i think i was really hard on myself about um kind of i felt like a failure you know i i was a, this sort of professional type a person i was very accustomed to the notion that if i just worked hard enough and did the right things i could do anything and that can be really, <laughs> really hard. That moment, well, once you have children, you, you you see it if you're fortunate enough to have them, but not as much as in your control as you would like to think. So mm-hmm. just kind to yourself. Be honest with yourself about what you want, and sort of manifest and think through it. I mean, obviously, everybody who's going through this, wants to have a child. But I think understanding what your limits are, how far you can go in, whether or not you're open to alternative family building options or child-free or whatever, you don't have to think about that early on. But I think for us, we had a very broad definition of family. We knew early on that if IVF didn't work for us, We were open to donor egg, we were open to donor embryo, which really wasn't a thing, you know, back then, or adoption, if that was a possibility. And that's not how everybody feels about it, but we knew that. And that kind of kept us going for we're going to try this, we're going to do IVF this many times, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to give it our all. And then we know that's not the end of the journey for us. And so, and that's not the case for everybody. So Mm -hmm. I think trying to think about it, not totally as episodic, but that you're about to embark on a journey and there's going to be some twists and turns that are out of your control. And I wish I did a little bit more of that earlier on. It, it took a lot of pressure off when I was able to to recognize that there was so much I could do, there was so much we could afford. And, you know, again, we were lucky that on our second try it worked, but um, that was not obvious at the time.
0: All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to check out Fertility Rally. If you'd like to join our family, you can find us on Instagram at Fertility Rally or our website, which is fertilityrally.com. Also don't forget our very exclusive discount offer for you guys at smpharmacy.com. If you use the code Fertility Rally, you'll get $200 off, which is awesome. So I want to thank Pam again for everything she's doing and for sharing her story. And I will talk to you guys next time.